Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, and perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast Bless the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. Down to Job chapter 3, verse number 3. The Lord said unto Satan again, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? He's still a perfect and an upright man. He's still one that fears God and escheweth evil. And still he holds fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee. To thy face. Two times, once in the first chapter and again in the third chapter, the enemy makes an unequivocal statement without any reservation. He says, I know that there are th certain things that if they are done, I am confident and I am sure that Job is going to respond by cursing you to your face. Amen. I would like to preach for just a little while tonight as long as the Spirit of God would minister. On this thought, amen, confuse the enemy. Amen, turn somebody behind you right now and tell them you need to confuse the enemy. Amen, you need to confuse the enemy. Amen. And if you'll help me preach tonight, I tell the church at home, if you don't say amen, I think you aren't getting it, so I keep repeating myself. And what could be a 30-minute sermon becomes an hour-long sermon. That's what they do. They start saying amen. They get the point. Amen. So if you help me preach tonight, say amen and you may be seated. You all are quick learners. There are likely those among us tonight that are among the prestigious strategic thinkers. Those of you that fit into that category, recreation for you is a game of chess or perhaps a relaxing round of Sudoku. I don't even know how to say it right, let alone play it. Recently, I was introduced by a friend to a game called Triopoly, which I guess was a game that was a takeoff of Monopoly, but instead of being one layer, it's three layers high. As soon as he said that, I knew it wasn't a game for me. I prefer to chess. I prefer checkers. I get a lot more satisfaction out of saying king me than I do spending four hours trying to figure out how to get you to move your pawn from out in front of your queen. 
I figured I can play five games of checkers in the time that it takes you to move five spaces in the game of chess. And in the world of competitive chess play, there are no names, few even in the same category, but none is equal to that of the name of Magnus Carlsen. Carlsen is a Norwegian-born chess prodigy that became, became a grandmaster in the game of chess at the age of 13. Now, that doesn't mean much to me, so I had to study what that means. And to be a grandmaster, that means that you have to be able to see between 10 and 12 moves ahead. Most chess players, at least those that play, maybe skilled at recreational chess, maybe even in a local chess club, they're good if they can see two moves in advance. At my skill level, I'm just trying to remember how does the horse guy move on the board. <clears throat> but Magnus Carlsen is not just a grandmaster. He is actually another level, and he is able to see 15 moves in advance. In other words, not only does he know what moves he's going to make, but he knows when I make this move, you'll make that move, and then I'll make this move, and you'll make that move, and then I'll do this, and you'll do that, and 15 moves, and then counter moves, he's able to see into the future, and usually somewhere in there, the game is over. I didn't even have a chance to do what I thought I wanted to do. Everything I did, he was thinking I should do. The prolific ability of Carlson is a combination of knowledge of the tendencies of his opponent, matched with his keen awareness of each piece on the board and his ability to control the game, knowing that he, if he is to make a certain move, his opponent will have no other choice but to respond in a very specific manner. And the only hope that one has to beat a grandmaster who knows your tendencies and has memorized your propensities is that you must make a move that they were not expecting you to make. Amen. You've got to do something to throw them out of their comfort zone. You've got to make a move that the grandmaster was not expecting that you were going to move. In fact, it may seem like an absurd move. It might make no sense at all. But if you're going to beat the adversary, you must confuse the enemy. And this superior level of mastery in the world of chess pales in comparison to an adversary that the Bible describes being as a roaring lion who is going around seeking whom he may devour. No, the adversary that we face, his plot is not to remove your rook, not to steal your queen, or even to bring you into a place of checkmate. No, this one, our adversary, the devil, is working to predict your inability to flee from temptation, to back you into a corner, and then to play off of your propensity that is moved by human reasoning and carnal desire. Ever since the garden, he has been predicting humanity's next move. I can see that sly serpent in the garden watching as day after day Eve strolled through the garden. And it seemed like day after day her gaze at that one specific tree in the middle of the garden every day as she passed, she began to stare just a little bit longer. He watched patiently, patiently waiting as what started as a subtle glance turned into a wistful gaze. He began to study the longing in her eyes. He watched the way that her stride slowed ever, her stride began to slow ever so 
slightly uh, as she passed that particular place in the garden. Uh, he knew the time of day that she would pass by. Uh, and so he perched himself just in the right place uh, at just the right time uh, because he knew that if he could engage her in conversation, uh, it would lead to the fall of humanity. Uh, he knew that given the right circumstances, uh, I know how Eve will respond. He watched intently as Cain considered the fact that God had showed greater respect unto his brother Abel's sacrifice. He studied the face of Cain as his countenance fell. He measured the rising hatred in the heart of Cain. He calculated his contempt, his animosity, and his abhorrence toward his brother Abel. And then just when he knew that the suggestion of killing his brother was the only way to appease the rising rage and anger in the heart of Cain, he nudged him and Cain reached out and slew his brother. Make no mistake tonight, you may think that you can outwit that you can outsmart and you can outmaneuver the devil, uh, but he's been studying human behavior longer than blood has been coursing through your veins uh, and oxygen has been flowing through your lungs. Uh, with incredible accuracy, he has predict been predicting how Noah's neighbors would respond to a radical preacher warning them of impending doom. With impeccable precision, he was able to surmise that Gehazi will never be able to resist Naaman's riches. He knew that when David looked out his window and saw Bathsheba on the rooftop, there's no way he'll be able to resist. He will call for Bathsheba. He knew that Samson would not be able to resist Delilah. And he knew that Judas would sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I hate to break it to you, but he knows you many times better than you know yourself. He knows how you are likely to react, and he knows how you are likely to respond when he makes his next move, when your coworker gets a promotion and instead you get a demotion. When somebody else is getting blessed while you feel like you're getting battered. Hey Amen. How about this? When it's Sunday morning and you're a little bit tired from a week long of work and it's 80 and sunny outside, but you know you need to go to church. The enemy already knows what your next move is going to be. And he's backing you into a corner. He's putting you in a set of circumstances where he knows what your next move is likely to be. When the driver cuts in front of you without using their turn signal. Amen. Somebody just went into repentance and trivia. How did he know? Probably because I know myself. He knows that when the trials come, he knows that when the heat is turned up, the chances are good that your walk is going to waver and your worship is going to wither. He is aware that the chances are good that when the finances get tight, you will give God his if you have something left over. You see, he's been studying humanity long enough to know that if he will make his move, there is a way that you are most likely to respond. He studied mankind long enough to understand that we pray when we need something, but we stray once we get what we wanted. He knows that we gather for the fishes and the loaves, but only a few remain at the cross and the tomb. He is an expert at understanding the tendencies and the responses of man to attack and advance in just the right way that he knows you will have no choice but to respond in a predetermined manner. 
but there is in every generation. There is in this building tonight. There was in my father's generation, in my grandfather's generation, and there will be in generations to come. There is always one that upsets the apple cart. They defy the natural inclination, and they go against the grain. Amen. They leave the adversary bewildered, befuddled, perplexed, and puzzled. Amen. They rise when the devil thought they were going to fall. They swim when all of the evidence said that they should sink. They stand like the Hebrew children when the evidence says you're going to bow. They love when their response should have been to hate. They give when human propensity says I'm going to take. They worship when the devil thought you would wither. I wonder there's somebody in this room tonight, the last thing in the world the devil expected you to do is to show up to church tonight and to lift your hands and give God praise. I came tonight to confuse the enemy. I came to throw the devil off his game. I came to let the devil know, you might think you know me, but there's some things about me you don't know. I know the doctor told you bad news this week, but why don't you confuse the enemy and give God praise? I know all your bills aren't paid, but why don't you give Jehovah Jireh a little bit of glory in the house tonight? Come on, is there a Hebrew child in the house? Is there somebody that would say, I'm not going to bow? I know you think everybody is, but I'm going to stand. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise tonight. Come on, that praise is confusing the enemy. That praise is confusing the enemy. He doesn't know what's happening right now. That's not supposed to be your next move. You were supposed to give up, throw in the towel, and walk away. And in our text from the book of Job, the devil comes before the Lord, and the Lord asks a question that I hope he never asks about me. Have you considered my servant Job? I love the Lord and I hope he loves me, but I don't want him bragging on me. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He is upright and he is righteous. The devil got this sly grin on his face. Oh, Job is no match for me. I've been studying human behavior for a while. And I know that if I can set the circumstances in just a certain situation, If I can get the chessboard arranged in a certain way, I know that Job will curse you to your face. I've been around long enough to know that if you start taking people's stuff from them, it shuts down their praise. You start removing their blessing and they will begin cursing. Here's what he says. He says back in response to the Lord in verse nine, he says, doth Job fear you for nothing? In other words, he says, there's a reason that Job comes to church. Yeah, it's that BMW. He jumped in the drive from his house here. That's the reason why he comes to church, because you're blessing him, because he got that raise on his job. That's why he blessed. That's why he loves you. That's why he praises you. That's why he serves you, because he's blessed. How many of you thank God for the blessings of being a child of the Lord? Amen. That's not a trick question. I'm thankful. 
Amen. There's a song we used to sing that said, I'm living the best life. I'm living the blessed life. I believe tonight there is blessing in serving the Lord. But the devil said back to God, he said, you let me start taking his blessing. You remove your hand from off his blessing. You let me start taking his stuff. You let the BMW break down. Let the washer stop working. Let the dryer run out of power. Let the air conditioning go kaputs. And watch what happens. They're not going to show up to church. They're not going to worship the way that they used to worship. He said, I guarantee you that if you let me touch Job's stuff, he will curse you to your face. He started tinkering in Job's stuff, and by the end of the day, everything Job owned had been ruined and turned to dust, and the enemy sat back, ready to pronounce checkmate, but what he got in response was not Job surrendering. It wasn't Job maneuvering into a checkmate, but Job stood up and said, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. Hey, somebody in this building tonight, the devil's been messing with your stuff. I'm going to tell you, don't you respond the way the devil thought you were. You need to stand up and bless the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It ain't going the way I thought it would go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, devil, I'm not going to move the way I thought I was. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm going to turn up my worship another level. Come on, has anybody in the last year, anybody, the devil messed with your stuff in the last year? You lost a few things? Come on, how about the uncertainty we've been going through? Hey, don't you do what the devil's expecting you to do. Don't you sit there on your pew and wonder where God went. The right response is, blessed be the name. Come on, you might have lost something in this last year, but God is able to give it back twofold. Job said, it's the last thing the devil's expecting, so it's the first thing I'm going to do. I can just see the devil's face as he stares at the, check, at the chessboard. And right now, the devil was probably thinking the same thing I think. I, I should have stuck with checkers. I will not do what the devil thinks I will do. I just made up in my mind and if I, 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 sometimes I want to think, what, 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 if I were the devil, what would I expect me to do next? If I got offended by a brother or sister in the church, what would the devil expect me to do next? I, I know what he'd expect me to do. He'd expect me to slide back a few. And if you're in the back row, somebody's got to sit there. I'm not picking on anybody. I'll sit there during worship service. I'll, I'll stop coming to Wednesday night Bible study. I'll sit there with my arms folded and a grumpy look on my face so pastor knows I'm not happy. That's what I'd do if I did what the devil wanted me to do. But I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to lift up my hands in the sanctuary. I'm going to lift up my voice and give God praise. Somebody in this building, you've been doing what the devil's expecting you to do, and it's moving you into checkmate. You need to turn this thing around right now and do something the devil's not expecting you to do. 
The devil says, all right, you got me there, Job. You, you threw me off my game a little bit, but I, I know this God. You let me touch his body. There, there's a, maybe, maybe, maybe Job's one of those select few that if you start messing with their stuff, that they'll make it through that. But I promise you, if you let me touch his body, you let me touch his body, and I promise you, by the time the sun goes down, Job will curse you to your face. I know that if I do this, Job is going to do that. I know if I make this move, I'm going to back Job into a corner where he'll have no other choice but to curse you to your face. And at the end of that second day, his body covered in boils, racked in affliction, Job sits down among the ashes and grabs a piece of potter and begins to scrape those, those painful sores on his body with splintered shards of pottery. And then he, and his wife is there and the devil knew, you know, I know part of his strategy. I know your wife. I know what she'll start saying. Anyway, that's pastor did some marriage counts at the altar call today, so I'm not going to dive into that. But, but that's all a part of the devil's strategy. He knows the people that are around you. If I can just get you into this circumstance, with the wrong voices around you. I know that you'll curse God to his face. But at the end of that day, as the sun crested on the horizon, Job didn't curse God. Instead, he said to his wife, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. I will not do what the devil thinks I will do. Hey Amen. I'm 46 years old now, and to some of you that's young, to others of you that's ancient, so wherever I fit in the category, but this much I know, Brother Carson, that I'm not as young as I was 10 years ago, and I got out of bed this morning, and I had a pain in my knee that I don't even know how it got there. Hey, I don't know where it came from, and I don't know how to get rid of it, but I made up in my mind I'm not going to let that pain keep me from praising God. I'm not going to let that ache in my body keep me from devil I know what you thought was going to happen but I came tonight to confuse the enemy I came tonight to confuse the enemy I will not do what the devil thought I was going to do I wish somebody confused the devil right now. He's been messing with your marriage. He's been messing with your children. He's been dabbling in your finances. He's been messing with your youth group. I wish you confused the devil right now and begin to give God praise. Come on, husband, you might have been in a squabble on the way to church tonight, but why don't you bless the Lord anyhow? Just another 20 seconds, confuse the devil. I wonder what's the last thing the devil's expecting you to do right now? What's the last thing he's expecting you to do? It ought to be the first thing you do. Are you weary in your body? Give God some praise anyhow. Are you weary in your faith? Give God some praise anyhow. You're confusing the enemy. Have you lost a loved one in the last year? Confuse the enemy. I don't just dance when everything's going my way. I dance when my body is racked in pain. I dance when the enemy's taking things away from me.
Come on, somebody, you're confused. That's the only way you can beat the enemy. You've got to confuse him. Come on, if the doctor gave you a cancer diagnosis, why don't you confuse the enemy and give God praise? You got a backslidden child, why don't you confuse the enemy and give God praise? The devil doesn't know what to do. The devil doesn't know what to do right now. He's walking through this building like a roaring lion, but there isn't anything to devour because the devil can only devour the weak. He's wondering, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing dancing? What are you doing shouting? What are you doing praising? Come on, confuse the enemy. Confuse the enemy. I just want to do the last thing the devil thought I was going to do. If you thought I was going to show up to church tonight and sit there on my pew, you got another thing coming. If you can't run, can you jump a little bit? If you can't shout too wild, can you jump a little bit? If you can't jump, can you raise your hands? If you can't raise your hands, can you raise your voice? Come on, mama, you may not know how you're gonna pay the bills, but confuse the enemy and give God praise. Something's happening in the Holy Ghost. Something's happening in this place right now. The enemy thought you had, he had you in checkmate. He thought it was the end of the road, the game was over. But your praise is confusing the adversary. You ought to speak in tongues right now. You ought to pray in that heavenly language. It's the last thing. It's the last thing the devil's expecting you to do. When he got on his hands on your blessing, he thought you were going to curse. But instead of cursing, I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to lift my voice. Hallelujah. I'm, not, I'm really not trying to create a hype atmosphere. If you think worship is hype, I, I don't know what to do for you. Worship is not hype. There have been times I walked into church and I felt like quitting. I felt like giving up. I felt like walking away. I was battling discouragement, frustration, 
all of the shuns that you shouldn't experience as a child of God, but I was experiencing them, and I knew if I sat there through that service, if I sat there with my arms folded and my eyes crossed and everything else crossed, staring back at the worship leader and the preacher, I knew the devil had me, but as soon as I raised my hands and I lifted my voice, come on, and I began to lift up the name of Jesus, victory came, victory came, deliverance came, chains were broken. I confuse the enemy when I give God praise. The devil thinks he knows you. He thinks he has you figured out. In the, in the lion's den, Daniel was supposed to be the prey, but instead he prayed. When Nero was feeding Christians to the lions and using their bodies as torches to light the streets of the city, the devil just knew now the church is over with. Now the church is done, but except that's not what happened. The church didn't die. The church didn't fall apart. Instead, revival broke out because you don't know us as well as you think you do. Paul and Silas beaten and bloodied, bound in chains in the bottom of a prison at midnight. The perfect place for the prison blues. But instead, Paul and Silas opted for the jailhouse rock, and they began to sing praises to God at midnight. I'm not going to do it. Devil, if you thought I was going to sit in this prison and just sit back and take what was coming, you obviously don't know me very well. I'm not going to sit here. It sounds like the right time to sing praises unto God. I believe in this last hour, the enemy is making his move. He has introduced a spirit of fear into our world unlike anything that I've ever experienced, seen, witnessed. The threat of sickness, disease, and even death is real, tangible. You can feel it. He is releasing every divisive voice and confusing sound out of the pit of hell. And I believe right now the devil is sitting back convinced that he knows the next move the church is going to make. I believe he is waiting and some it's happening where pastors are throwing their hands up in surrender, where churches are closing their doors never to open again. But he believes the church is just going to give up, buy into his lies. We're going to turn on one another. We're going to begin to divide and strive with one another that we're going to allow all the sickness and the fear to silence our praise. We must confuse the enemy. Come on. Have I been discouraged as a pastor? Yes. Am I giving up? Absolutely not. In fact, if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be to praise him more. It's going to be to get louder. The enemy believes in a climate where the church is being demonized like never before by a secular society and godless media. Our adversary is convinced that there is no way that we will respond in this hour by fulfilling the great commission to go into our world. 
that instead the church is going to shelter in our sanctuaries and we're going to hide in our homes, but we must confuse our enemy. We've got to go like we've never gone before. We've got to reach like we've never reached before. You're here tonight and you're harboring bitterness, holding a grudge. The enemy is counting on the fact that your next move is going to be out that back door. But you need to confuse your enemy. You need to make it up in your mind. My next move is going to be to an altar. My next move is I'm going to get into this altar and I'm not leaving here until I get this bitterness out of my heart. I'm not leaving until I get this grudge out of my spirit. Pastor, you told me I could have liberty. I don't, my wife would tell you this is abnormal for me. But something happened Friday night when Pastor Carson was over here and Brother Huntley had preached about the audacity to ask. And Pastor came up at the end and spoke of a vision and the audacity to ask God for a regional revival of 10,000 souls, which I smiled when he said it because that's been my vision, the vision in Lexington Park. My dad started before I became pastor was a vision in that region of 10,000 souls. And I believe it's going to happen in pockets all across this nation. But he made a statement concerning finances that in order for this audacious ask of a 10,000 soul revival, there were going to have to be financial miracles. And perhaps somebody he said would call that day and write a check for a million dollars. And right there, as you spoke, pastor, God put in my spirit, Luke chapter 12 with a rich man. He was already rich, and in the midst of his riches, he had a plenteous harvest. And his response was, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And we know the end of that story is that he was confronted, thou fool. This night thy soul will be required of thee. Can I tell you, that's the norm. That's, that's the natural next move for a rich man to make when he has increase is to build bigger barns, find bigger places to put his finances. But in that, when he did what the adversary expected him to do, it was checkmate. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say that audacious thing that you are asking God to do is tied to somebody in this sanctuary tonight, confusing the enemy. Amen. There has been a financial blessing that you have come across and you've been wondering where can I put that financial blessing? But I'm telling you tonight, if you will confuse the enemy, the blessing that is coming behind this blessing will be greater than the blessing you are receiving right now. I believe tonight God wants to begin to finance your pastor's vision. I believe tonight somebody is going to confuse the enemy and instead of getting another IRA, instead of buying that boat you've been planning on buying, instead of getting that new estate, I know nothing. I promise I'm not picking on anybody. I, all I know is what the Holy Ghost said. If somebody tonight with your finances will confuse the enemy, the blessing that is coming after it will be greater than the blessing you are receiving right now. Instead of building bigger barns, why don't you build the kingdom? I was praying before I came and I felt the Holy Ghost even prompt me to say, if you're watching online right now and it's you, if you've got pastor's number and God has placed it in your spirit, I don't think a million dollars is a big number for God. 
I don't think a million dollars is a big number for, it's a big number for me. Don't get me wrong. All right. Don't, I'm, I'm not trying to talk crazy now. It's a big number for me, but it's not a big number for God. And I, I just believe in my spirit that tonight God could raise up a million dollar offering in this. And I'm, I'm talking out of my mind right now. Valerie, do I ever do this? No, I don't ever do this. That's confirmation. I don't ever talk like this, but I believe right now somebody, I want to open the doors that it's not just about our jump and our clapping our hands and our shout, but there are so many ways tonight that we can confuse the enemy. There are so many ways tonight that we confuse, can confuse the enemy, amen, and we can begin to build up the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you right now, I want, you, I, want, I want to ask you this question. What is the last thing the devil would expect you to do right now? What's the last thing? If it's a dance, if it's a shout, if it's a jump, if it's a raise your hand, I don't know. Can you run the aisles in here? I think you, I see you guys just run back and forth. That back aisle's a doozy to, to try to navigate. Whatever it is, whatever it is, what's the last thing? that the enemy is expecting you to do. If you've got a grudge against somebody, the last thing the enemy is expecting you to do is come and like the Bible says, lay that, lay that thing on the altar and go make it right with your brother or sister. Go make that thing right and get over it. Stop letting the enemy destroy you through that, that grudge and that bitterness in your spirit. But we're here tonight. We're going to confuse the enemy. The devil thinks the church is over with. He thinks the church is done. He thinks COVID and all the racial strife going on in our nation is going to destroy the church. I'm here to say we're about to confuse the enemy. COVID is not going to stop the church. We're not going to get divided over the color of our skin. We're not going to get divided over our cultural differences. We're going to be bound together with the love for one another like never before. So I want us for the next 30 seconds, I want you to confuse the enemy. I want you to confuse the enemy of your soul right now. I want you, the first thing that you do right now, I want it to be the last thing that the devil expects you to do. I want you to lift your voice. I want you to lift your hands. If you feel to bring a financial blessing to bless the vision of your pastor, I want you to do that right now. Come on, somebody in this building, the doctor gave you a negative medical report and you've been bound by fear. You've been bound by anxiety and worry. I want you to make your way down to the front of this church and begin to bless the Lord with everything you've got in you. I know it doesn't make sense, but it confuses the enemy. Come on, married couple. We don't need to know all your problems, but the enemy has been working in your marriage. The enemy has been working to destroy your children, and he's expecting your next move to be out that back door. But I'm asking you to make your way down to this altar. Link your hands together. Raise those hands up unto the Lord and begin to worship him.
Somebody can receive the Holy Ghost in this atmosphere. The last thing the devil expects is somebody to get the Holy Ghost in the middle of this kind of atmosphere. Why don't we confuse the enemy? Uh, let the Holy Ghost be poured out all around this room tonight. In the name of Jesus. Listen, there's a, there's a blessing attached. Not just because I'm the preacher tonight, but when you respond to what the preacher through the word of God is challenging you to do, there's a, there's a blessing attached to that. And I'm asking you, don't just sit there and do what you've always done, but I'm asking you to do something, to just something tonight that would be the last thing the enemy would expect you to do. Don't let it just be the same ones that do it all the time. Somebody that would step out of their comfort zone. The enemy's been messing with your possessions. He's been afflicting your family, afflicting your body. I'm going to do like Job tonight, and I'm going to confuse the enemy. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, son. The Holy Ghost is waiting on somebody right now, somebody right now in this building. Something that you have the ability to do tonight is going to break things loose for this church. It's going to break things open in this city. It's going to break things open in this community. Something you have the ability to do right now. Come on, there's something happening. Something is breaking loose right now. Something is happening here. That's it. Go ahead just a little bit further. <laughs> 